0: Why, hello there, and welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards of PureAndSimpleBible.com. I'm so thankful for your steady support. Thank you, and thank you for giving me a week off. I didn't get to record last week. I had exhausted my library of conversations that I've already made. So, I took a week off because I've been focusing on some video Bible studies. More on that at the end, but you need to go to pureandsimplebible.com and check it out. This week, we've got Timothy Ballard back in. Since he's nearby during the quarantine, I'm taking advantage of him. We're talking about a time when Jesus told someone that they were a dog. And, with that simple thought in mind, let's jump into a Bible conversation. Well, Timothy, thank you very much for coming back into the studio with me. I'm grateful uh, to have this opportunity to talk about this lesson from the Syrophoenician woman. You gave it at Denton County back in January, I think, right? So it's been several months ago. Mm-hmm. But, man, it was powerful. It was powerful when you preached it. I knew immediately I needed it on this program so that others could hear it beyond our home congregation. So thank you for coming in and being willing to speak about it.
1: I'm happy to do it. And it's probably the right time to say that it's not an original. <laughs> and uh, never mind, get out. <laughs> well, in the, I've got to say that your reaction to it was, I shared it when I, when I heard it, I share that reaction that I heard it back in 2018, and it was very impactful for me. And so I listened to it on my phone for a year and a half, and I was like, man, I gotta. Thought about it a long time. I was like, yeah, this one needs to be shared to a even a larger audience. So
0: I often stand on the shoulders of greater men to get either sermon content and or, especially in the past few weeks as I've done these live studies, um, I mean, it, it's all stuff that I have to study, but my dad has been very helpful in giving me some notes. And you know, if I'm working on a series, he's like, oh, I've got something on that. You want to look yeah. at it? I'm always like, uh, yes, thank <laughs> you. You open up with a question and uh, you, you say, how do you define yourself? Maybe you could begin there by talking about our need for self-awareness, our push for it, etc. What, what, what do we need to know about ourselves?
1: Well, imagine having to be confronted with challenges in life and you don't know how to respond or react to them. You have no construct for understanding who you are and what is the best way to deal with the situation that you're in? Yeah. And so we look at the the confusion in our world and people are struggling with self-identity. They don't know who they are. Right. And so it's easy for them to go jump on some kind of group mm-hmm. and, oh, man, mm-hmm. I kind of look like these people, so maybe I should think like them too. Right. And so, with as much confusion as there is, especially with young people, and um, you know, we've been talking about how we identify ourselves as a culture. Um, we've been talking about how we identify ourselves as a race, as occupation, and even the conversation of people not knowing how they can identify themselves. Uh, in in a gender is becoming a part of the conversation, mm-hmm. and so as God's children we must be able to define ourselves right. and the only thing that we can have confidence in is defining ourselves by the one who died for us mhm and that's Jesus
0: so that's kind of the the I, you're you're spoiling the ending in saying that this is ultimately what we should do is we should have an identity in Jesus but now we get to go through the content to help us appreciate that and uh, I like how you, you mentioned this uh, concept of a lot of times people define themselves by what they're not. Could you talk about that for a moment?
1: Sure. I think there there's a danger. We've got a great uh, story that even young little children know of Jonah in the Old Testament. And there's a danger in the story of Jonah when we're just trying not to be like the Ninevites mm-hmm. in the New Testament. Um, specifically in the church in Rome, they had the challenge of people trying to define themselves culturally by who they grew up as, Jew or non-Jew, and um, defining themselves by who they were not. Oh, I'm not that person, or I'm not on that side, instead of who they are. Now, As we come to define ourselves by who we are, we understand who we're not, Mm -hmm. what we shouldn't do and who we shouldn't be. Right. But it comes from a far more healthy place because as parents, I think there's much more joy and satisfaction when our children obey us out of respect and honor Mm -hmm. than obligation and fear of, oh man, I can't believe it. (laughs) So man, that, that... is um, that that's when the really the joy comes out, uh, you know, for me or Krista, those few times when it is done out of love and respect. And so, well, I'll interject here just to
0: say um, that phrase, you know, identifying yourself by who you're not. I think there's been times when I've told our kids that's not who we are. (laughs) And there's this, you know, uh, identity of what it means to be an Edwards and whenever they're treating each other poorly or, you know, whatever it may be, they say, hey, that's not who we are. That's not what we do. We're identifying by what we we're not supposed to be. And you're making a case in this that uh, we, while that is uh, human nature, a, a Christian is hoping to identify by who they are, and that is in Christ. Their identity is found in Christ. Um, now, let's look at Isaiah chapter 11. And i uh, You use this as kind of a catalyst to jump into the narrative that we're going to use in the Gospels. So how does Isaiah 11, uh, or rather what, what does Isaiah 11 have to do with self-awareness as we begin to talk about Jesus?
1: Well, there's a prophecy that Isaiah gives, and he declares that when the Messiah comes, when the King of Israel comes, that it was going to spring out Mm -hmm. from the root of Jesse— and so when, when we kind of apply this idea of it springing out, um, and he even, you know, uses this term, the root of Jesse is going to be the lineage of Jesse. Think about a tree and where the roots hang out. The roots are underground. Mm-hmm. And even when you kind of see them on top, you know that they're kind of going deep and there's a lot more to them. So he says that he is the root of Jesse, but this Messiah would spring forth and become a signal or a banner. And so when we think about banners, banners aren't something that are small and meant to be obscure. No, they are for everyone to see. The billboards on the side of the road, that company is paying for that billboard because it wants as many people as possible. And so this banner was not just for the Jews. It wasn't Mm -hmm. just for the people who had always been in, but it was a signal for those who he would draw in. It was for everyone and so it was going to be something that was going to start with the Jewish nation. but then it was going to be something that was going to go out to everyone. And there was this timeline to how that would happen. Uh, when Jesus arrived, he primarily interacted with the Jews. And, um, you know, there were some healings and miracles that he performed. And he would tell the people, now listen, don't go tell anybody about right, this. Right. And I was kind of thinking earlier how... I wonder if when they immediately ran off and started telling people if Jesus was like, well, okay, yeah, I understand that that yeah. was a big deal. Yeah. Um he chooses 12 young men uh to help him in this uh this message of spreading and these 12 guys that he brought on to help him in this goal of spreading the gospel. We'll see in some of their interaction in the Gospels that they just, they didn't always get it. Right. And that's the problem with even us sometimes, that sometimes we just don't get it. And this is the problem with those who were following Jesus, that they didn't get his intent and his goal yet.
0: Okay. So with that in mind, this concept from Isaiah 11, you have a root that turns into a banner uh, there's the <clears throat> background of Jesus with his ministry, the twelve, whom they didn't get it, etc. You've kind of uh, framed our our story in Matthew chapter 15. So, what do we see, and what are we looking at in Matthew 15 specifically?
1: Okay, Matthew chapter 15. We're hopefully, maybe envision in your mind one of those maps in the back of your Bible. Okay, we've got uh, Judea. You know, down in the south, and there was Samaria a little bit farther north of then Galilee up to the north that mm-hmm. was, you know, flanking right there on the western side of the Sea of Galilee where these a lot of these guys were fishermen. Yeah. So Jesus is up there in the north, and at this time, a a group of Jewish leaders make this 70-mile journey north up to where Jesus is. They know he's up in the area. They go up there because they have framed back at home a trap for him. Uh-huh. So they go up there and they say, why aren't you teaching all these people that are now beginning to follow you? How come you're not teaching them to obey the traditions that we've added on to Scripture? Right. How come you're not teaching them this and this? So Jesus answers them and he answers them. And then eventually he tells them, you know, what goes into a body isn't what makes it unclean, but it's what comes out of it. Right. And they looked at him with puzzled eyes and. Really didn't know what to do with that, (laughs) and so we come to this interaction of Matthew chapter fifteen, where Jesus is answering in all these fantastic ways, and then in verse twenty-one it says, "Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon." So he's over near the Sea of Galilee, and then he heads off northwest out to the Mediterranean coast, and so Jesus is facing a lot of opposition. Imagine day after day just being like a gauntlet. So at some point, you know, we kind of read of Jesus down in Jerusalem having to, at the end of the day, kind of depart and go to the garden, go to this place of kind of rest where he can kind of be alone. This is another one of those times where he decides to leave the region and go out to the coast. And I believe the reason he goes to this place is to get away from the action. Mm -hmm. Because the, the places that he was heading to, The people who were following him wouldn't have been comfortable going there.
0: Why not? Why would they, I guess, want to avoid that place way up
1: north? The reason Jesus went to this area is because the opposition would certainly not feel comfortable going there either. Uh Uh-huh. Matthew records that Jesus goes there. His disciples are with them. The crowds probably don't follow him there, but it was probably an area that had heard of who Jesus was. Right but probably know where the disciples had been before. Jesus travels to this place, and in some of the uh, translations, the top of the heading says that Jesus meets a Syrophoenician woman. Right. But Matthew calls her, in verse 22, a Canaanite woman.
0: Ooh, the name Canaanite. Right. right. What's so bad about it?
1: Well, this is one of those kind of classic rivalry situations. Okay. UT Longhorns, <laughs> OU Sooners. I guess has that hasn't been a rivalry for like 10 years, sadly.
0: <laughs> oh, it's but, glorious. Yeah, it's glorious.
1: <laughs> um, you know, Yankees, Red Sox, Cowboys, uh, Eagles. You know, at the end of the game, those guys, there's always, there's always a kind of a big buildup to those things. Right. And at the end of the game, they shake hands and everything, but they really don't like each other. Sure. And then the dust settles and, you know, the season goes forth. But
0: this is different than than baseball or football. This is going back centuries, centuries, the Canaanites versus the Israelites. I mean, we're going back to when they crossed over into the promised land and maybe even before that.
1: Right. Yeah, imagine you getting displaced because Israel came in Uh and whooped up on your family and kicked you out. And so this was a rivalry that went back a long time. And so the Jews viewed the Canaanites as a pagan people with pagan gods who were in their land mm-hmm. and who had always been their enemy. And so this kind of gets ingrained in the culture and maybe generations came after and they really don't know why right? things were rough between them. Man, you just stayed away from who your grandpa stayed away from.
0: Right. It seems like that's the ones where it's the most ugly is when you don't know the origins of why you hate that person or that clan, but you're just going to stay away because that's what the way it's always been. Every great narrative has something like that. I think about the Hatfields and McCoys, yeah. the Montagues and the Capulets, right? So here we have the
1: Canaanites and the, uh, the Israelites. So he goes to this place and the first person that you see him interacting with is a Canaanite. Mm-hmm. You could just expect this from the Lord.
0: Now you expect her... Maybe if you knew all of that information, it would be expected for her to be like, what are you doing up here, you Israelite, right, you Jew?
1: What are you doing up in our area? What does she say, and what's so special about it? Well, think about it from the context. I mean, we're we're able to look back on this side, but think about it from the context of these young men. Mm -hmm. They're in a culture that define themselves by who they're not Uh and who they stay away from. Right. And this woman comes to uh, Jesus. And again, they've just come off this conflict and discussion with uh, the Jewish leaders. And a Canaanite woman comes. And this is what she says She says, Lord, son of David. Okay. What does that mean? Well, she's on the other team. Uh huh. Back to the football analogy imagine if the quarterback went to the opposing side of the field and asked their coach, What play do you think we should run? <laughs> She's on the other team, and she right. is now ca- falling down before Jesus saying, Lord, Son of David. I mean, that's amazing that that comes out of her mouth. And she, It's amazing
0: she says, Lord, acknowledging his lordship. But tell us about Son of David, that, why that would be special
1: for her to say. Yeah, that would have definitely rung in the ears uh, of the disciples. That is a title that's linking him with the lineage of the kings of the Old Testament. And so God was going to redeem all nations, and he was going to do it through Abraham's family, which was then even narrowed down to where the Messiah was coming from, the root of Jesse. Right. He was going to come from David. Uh-huh. So God was going to use, even within his people, a very narrow lineage uh-huh. uh, to bring uh, that saving into the world. And so. You know, in the Old Testament, we see this kind of broad getting narrowed down to where Jesus is. And then when it gets to Jesus, it goes out to all nations because God's people had messed it up. And so he redeems and he takes it to all. And this lady, in this moment, she recognizes something about Jesus and says, you are the son of David.
0: Now, that that makes me think, you know, if I'm going through this for the first time and I'm kind of going real slow. It makes me think that she is looking at him as the hope of something or as the answer to something, not as an enemy. So what exactly happens next? I mean, how does she um, when she thinks about Jesus, you know, what is she going to be thinking about?
1: Well. She might. Who knows? She might have witnessed one of Jesus miracles around the place. She might have around the place uh, <laughs> around the that part of the world. Um she might have known of someone that witnessed a miracle back down in Judea and who had traveled. So Jesus has been in his ministry about a year. Right. Been healing a lot of people. People have been coming into Jerusalem, and they've been going back out. And so she had heard about what good Jesus had done and what he was capable of. Yeah. And So there is something very compelling about these people who are not Jews, and yet they are still looking.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, they're desperate. I mean— Her request and others like her, you know, we talk sometimes about humility, the idea of putting yourself aside and putting the Lord first in your life. But like this lady is putting aside every sort of cultural and historical uh, issue that her people would have had with the Jewish people. And who knows what ramifications she's going to face when she goes back to her people. That You went to a Jew for healing whenever you could have gone to our, you know, uh, magicians or whatever. So she's going to have a lot to, I guess, take away from this whenever she goes home. But I find it amazing how she's interacting with him. She seems pretty desperate, right? right?
1: Yeah, she was absolutely in a desperate situation, but she had heard about who Jesus was. And so in this moment, she comes in and she declares publicly that Jesus, you are my Lord. And you are the son of David mm-hmm. and in Mark's account when he tells a story Jesus is actually in a house when it happens which makes it really kind of interesting because she comes in and the Bible describes her as crying out to Jesus mm-hmm. and so she is in desperate measure she has chased Jesus down and she's crying out and so she she continues she goes Lord son of David have mercy on me and then she describes the nature of her request she says My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. And so I think what's really kind of key about the way she uh, makes this statement to the Lord is she is defining her need based upon who she's speaking to. Right. Not the other way around. Mm -hmm. She's defining who the Lord is and then the request that she is needing from him. Now, Jesus doesn't initially respond to her. Right. Right.
0: Ugh, oh, right. <laughs> the silent treatment. What why?
1: Well, this is a strange story. And I think I understand it, and I might not. But yes, it is strange. And, you know, when when we get that verse 23, Jesus does not answer her a word, you think about, okay, wait, did Jesus ever treat anybody else like this and you know, he didn't respond to Pilate in a moment, um, and there might have been, you know, a handful of others. But it is a very odd interaction that Jesus right. has with her. Verse 23 goes on, and it says, His disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. Wow. And I, I we, we've got to be gentle with The disciples because right but you do wonder you know they didn't come to the Lord saying Lord we met this lady outside man she's got she's in a tough situation right will you please have mercy on her Lord send her away she's wearing us out and so we're gonna give a lot of attention to this woman she has profound faith She's really moving this story along, and yet it's really not a story about her. This story is about the disciples and something that Jesus really needed to teach them. And so, if it's a story for the disciples, it's a story uh, for us because, um, you know, these disciples didn't say to Jesus, Oh, please heal this woman's daughter. Right. They say, Send her away. And so. I think about these 12 young men and the things that they needed to learn. And it makes me reflect on some of the most awkward moments in the New Testament. Some of the moments that make us go, ooh, do they really think that or really say that? <laughs> right. Come out of the mouths of these 12 guys. Uh-huh. And just to remind us of some of them, in Matthew chapter 20, verse 20, James and John, whether or not they asked their mother to do this or not. Mm-hmm. Their mother went to Jesus and asked him if her two sons could sit beside him on his throne. Right. And the other 10 were not (laughs) cool with the request. In Luke chapter 22, they're traveling and the disciples can't find anything else to talk about. So they're going to talk about which one of us is going to be the greatest (laughs) in the kingdom. And then in Mark chapter 8, Peter takes it upon himself to take Jesus aside and rebuke him. And correct them, right? You
0: know, fun fact about these things and others. But this is one of the great evidences that the Bible is real, because uh, a lot of historians that are commissioned by great kings, etc., always leave out the embarrassing details of their ruler. Those guys could do nothing, could do no wrong, but yet the hmm. apostles who wrote these stories really kind of embarrassed themselves, and that's one of the evidences that many scholars look at to say if. If they had been lying, why would they make themselves look bad? Yeah. Why wouldn't they make themselves look pious? So that's an interesting thing. Now in uh these guys, uh when Peter says, Lord send her away.
1: Can we can we do another interesting thing?
0: Oh yes, please.
1: This one gave me goosebumps. <laughs> in Matthew chapter sixteen, when Peter when Jesus is asking his disciples, Who do men say that I am? And Peter says Uh, You are the son. What does he say?
0: You are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Christ. Yeah.
1: Jesus says, you know, right you are, Peter, son of Jonah. In Acts chapter 10, I bring this up because we mentioned kind of Jonah at the beginning. In Acts chapter 10, when Peter gets the word that he's going to take the gospel to the Gentiles, do you know where he was?
0: He was in, uh, we're doing Bible trivia. <laughs> he was in Joppa. He was in Joppa. And yeah, he was up The our... same
1: place Jonah was when he was fleeing the Lord uh-huh. and not going to go to the Ninevites.
0: Aha! huh So we have a prophet of Israel called to go to Gentiles. We have an apostle of the Lord called to go to Gentiles. Mm. What a connection. What a connection. <laughs>
1: And so let's just imagine for a moment, since it was usually Peter anyway, who said, Lord, send her away. Right. She's wearing us out. Yeah, this woman's wearing us She would have had to have fought
0: through them to get to Jesus, right? I would He's imagine. in the middle, and it's crowded. We, there's probably more than 12 people there. This is. She reminds me kind of like the woman who had bleeding for 12 years, you know, going to touch him at all costs, going to mm-hmm. get to him at mm-hmm. all costs. Anyway, I know we're going to talk more about that later on, but uh,
1: let's consider... Um, well, Jesus finally answers. Okay. Thankfully, he he opens up his mouth. But he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. So, okay, you could say, oh, good, he did answer. But the answer is not
0: <laughs> a compliment. Right. What does it mean? I was sent only to the lost sheep
1: of Israel. Well, in my mind, Jesus is saying, I'm not here to deal with the Canaanites. Right. I'm here to only deal uh, with the... Uh, the Israel nation and if Jesus really really wasn't here to mess with the Gentiles you know what he wouldn't have done in Matthew chapter 7 when the centurion asked him to heal a servant he wouldn't have healed a servant but Jesus has already interacted with Gentiles he has already preached on the other side of the lake where he cast out the demons and we're gonna come back to that in a little bit and so Jesus has proven that he will minister to the Gentiles but in this moment he says, I'm done. I'm not dealing with anyone other than the lost sheep of Israel. And in one sense, yes, this is accurate. Because there was an organizational plan to how the gospel is going to go out. It was going to be first for the Jew. Right. And then to the Gentile. And so, yes, he had been sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Mm-hmm. But someone in this crowd hears him say this. It's the disciples and this woman. And so the woman comes to him crying out again. She says, Lord help me and so you know perhaps she busts through the house or through the wall that the uh, disciples had made to keep her out and she falls at his feet and she exclaims again lord help me she is crying now she is desperate and she has chased jesus down she's not going to take no for an answer
0: one of my favorite parts of this study is that concept of she chased jesus down and i I thought maybe you might want to take a minute to describe what she did versus what many think about jesus today in our religious community and how maybe we might have it a little bit backwards Mm.
1: well Hmm. maybe we ask too much of the lord when we're not willing to chase him down basically Mm -hmm. um but i think there is in the kind of the culture of Christianity out in the world it is Jesus come to me right come into my life I'm Mm -hmm. willing to be changed but I need you to show up to do it instead of people willing to change their life and to define themselves by who Jesus is instead of saying I still kind of want to stay comfortable and I'm going to kind of craft or find a a religion that suits me and so I'll, I'll take Jesus on my terms instead of people abandoning everything and going and falling and chasing Jesus down.
0: I feel like we've got just the smallest, most, you know, tiny percentage of an understanding of that over this past month and a half as the world has kind of just been rocked a little bit about can you or can you not uh, worship God? Can you do it the way that you've been convicted by the scriptures or and if that's taken from you, what do you do? I feel like we're, as a brotherhood, kind of maybe grappling with that a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, what a powerful image that her number one concern was not how she was going to be viewed by anyone else around her. Her number one concern was, I've got to get to Jesus. And so that that's powerful for me. Makes sure. me want to have that same sort of mindset. Um, now, why why is she not going to take no for an answer I mean I I really like earlier how you mentioned it you know Jesus has obviously got something going on here because he's already helped Gentiles so he's not a racist you know (laughs) just telling her no but there's a bigger lesson here Um, and so I'm thankful for those other times where he just kind of helped Gentiles whenever they asked for it but we're still getting to the heart of her she's not going to hear no and then go away why not
1: she knows who he is and she knows, she's already, she's already committed to define herself by who Jesus is, and so, again, she's not concerned about identifying herself as a Canaanite, an Israelite, uh, a woman, a man. It, it's just, it's she was someone who needed Jesus, right? And I think that's, and this is the powerful example of transformation of what Jesus. And do for somebody um he can break down any barrier any any kind of barrier that we put up of right. culture of society right. of all that kind of stuff and um and be all that we need to be transformed and so i, I mean i think she does this because she understands that she's responsible for something she's responsible for herself and uh, she's responsible for her daughter and she understands that christianity or just being a follower of Jesus can't be passive. Yeah. It can't be something that is you do casually or you do when it's convenient. That's right. Now,
0: man, this is just such a beautiful picture. And if this was the end of the story that she's and then Jesus granted her request, you know, <laughs> we would miss out on what is called the world's most terrible parable. No, that's I didn't say it right the most terrible parable in scripture. That's what you write down in your notes. It's not great. (laughs) Maybe you could tell us the most terrible parable and then explain what's going on.
1: Jesus (laughs) says, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Wow. If ever there was a cliffhanger
0: where you may be so upset with me that I get hate mail, it could be on this one because if I were you uh, to hear the most terrible parable in scriptures, but then not have it explained, oof, that would be tough. But we did record it and it is going to be available next Monday, Lord willing. And uh, so if you're watching or rather listening in real time, then you have to wait a week. And I guess if you're listening to these episodes later on back to back, then you could just start the next episode and you'll get the answer to it. So you need to go to the website and check out a bunch of information. While you're there on the homepage, there should be a uh, what to do during the Corona crisis page. And I've just wrapped up, uh, or rather I'm wrapping up this week, a seven week series of Bible studies that I recorded live. And I still got a few to go in the moment. But uh, if you're just listening to this podcast later on, there's going to be over 42 live Bible studies that were recorded over the past seven weeks. And uh, there's nine different Bible series that you can go through. Just a lot of content for you. So check it out over at pureandsimplebible.com on the homepage. And I hope that it is a blessing to you. So until next week, always remember God loves you very much. And I do too. Lord willing. See you soon.